Welcome to the L Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Kopko. This podcast is all about navigating the big L, life. It's all about learning and growing together. So let's go. Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday. I'm super excited for today's guest. I met Representative Donna Bullock um, last year, I believe. It was at a conference for AAUW. That's the American Association of University Women here in Pennsylvania. It was at our summer retreat. And I was just so inspired by her keynote that I knew I had to have her on the podcast. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Liz. I really appreciate the invitation. So uh, Representative Bullock is a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. She represents the 195th Legislative District, and that includes parts of Northern Philly and the Art Museum area. And she won the first seat in 2015. So this is not her first rodeo. And she's currently the majority chair of the House Children and Youth Committee, as well as the Ethics Committee. So she's served in previous committees and previous councils as well. So I'm super excited to talk to you a little bit about your role. But to kind of get us started, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thank you for that uh, introduction, Liz. Uh who, who am I? So I am originally a Jersey girl who made my way to Philadelphia to go to law school um, and really um, took that opportunity to serve. You know, I grew up in a household where um, we we were humbled by our, our um, you know, where we were. We didn't have a lot of resources. And so we relied a lot on local nonprofits to support um, to support us. And my grandmother always made me give back and volunteer even with the organizations that were helping my family. So I learned early on that no matter how small you are or how young you are or how little you may have, you can always serve others. And so um, I took that with me on to law school and to eventually in my legal career where I worked for community legal services um, and for a small a uh, law firm, woman-led law firm that represented nonprofits and eventually into the public sector and as an elected official. So I am now a, a state rep, as you mentioned, and I am a mom and a wife and a daughter. Um, I proudly talk about my neighborhood and Strawberry Mansion part of North Philadelphia um, and my uh, my boys who are these, you know, curious um, adventurous city boys who love to do everything outdoors and will have me zip lining or rappelling from buildings and all kinds of things. And I, I do those things with them and it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I, last fall, I've actually rappelled down 30 stories in center city, Philadelphia with my 15 year old son as a fundraiser for outward bound. So I am a, you know, get it, get in there, get your hands, you know, in the mix kind of state rep um, and leader here in the city of Philadelphia that um, not is not afraid of heights um, mm -hmm. and not afraid of much else. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And my heart is pounding just thinking about repelling. Uh -uh. <laughs> so props to you. Spider woman right on down the building. <laughs> <laughs> and I also really love that, you know, your upbringing is really what has like continued on throughout your career. And I just want to share this one phrase that I try to live by that my parents really instilled in me is that no matter how little you have, you always have enough to share. 
And so that's something that I, I always try to use moving forward. And so I love that we have those similar values. So out of all the things, what made you want to go into politics? Yeah. Um, listen, as a, as a little girl, I was a precocious, uh, little kid and was always involved in adult conversations and thought I wanted to be, or maybe folks told me that, you know, you should be in leadership roles and, you know, was involved in city council and all those kinds of things. I was a girl who wore a suit and heels to school in high school because I thought I was that important, even if I wasn't. Um, but I grew up, grew up and grew out of that. And I think um, as I became an adult, I realized I just wanted to be of service, right? And I wanted to work um, for the elected officials. And I really enjoyed working for our city councilman here in Philadelphia, the city council president, um, and serving as the number two, but not necessarily the person that was out front and center, um, but definitely advising that person and um, knowing that I can use the skills I had as a lawyer or the skills that I had in my community and the connections I had in my community to influence policy and to direct change that can really make a, have an impact. And I think for me, that was important because, um, you know, working as a lawyer in legal services, you would see cases come before you one by one. And I was like, well, how do we have systemic change? And so that's how I got involved in policy work. And then eventually someone said to me, you know, Donna, I see you out here mentoring other women. I was having a, every year having a breakfast at my house called the Woman of Color Leadership Breakfast, encouraging other women to run for office. And when the opportunity came um, for this particular seat, someone you know looked at me and said, you've been encouraging other women to run and now it is your time. And um, I took that opportunity. I think I sat there and sat with myself and a lot of times, woman, you have to access seven times to run for office uh, because we have every reason to doubt why we should or shouldn't run or maybe there's somebody else that wants it more than I do or am I the right person will people vote for me will people support my campaign um what what are what would be the impact on my family I had a lot of second guess and I went through all of that and eventually came out of that process and saying one that I was in fact, ready and prepared to run for the seat that I could be effective in the role and that I could bring all the skill sets and experiences lived and professional experiences that I had to be um, impactful at the state house. And that my boys were able to actually turn on the microwave and cook dinner and tie their own shoes and say they will be okay um, if mommy moved on into this opportunity to serve others. And so it was an, it was an evolution and a process for me to get here um, and somewhat full circle to back to that little girl who always thought she was running things anyway um, to understand that this was just another phase or another chapter in my journey of service. That's amazing. One thing that I remember from your speech last summer was that you mentioned when you were elected, there were like less than 10 other Black women that you saw. And so yeah, in the state house. That's yeah, so the state house at that time, and that was the state house and Senate. We currently don't have any uh, woman of color in the state Senate. In the state house, we are now at 12 or 13, I believe, um, if you include other women of color in that number. And um, and what does that mean, right? Because that of 253 legislators between the Senate and the House, that, you know, less than 15 of us, less than 10 of us at that time, um, were identified as women of color. And it was it was a challenge. I, there were um, moments 
you know, where you walk down the halls and you see a sea of white men and mostly a sea of older white men um, from other parts of the Commonwealth who don't have the experiences that I had. Um, and it was a time in the Commonwealth where not only were the numbers for electing Black women were low, but women in general were low, right? Um, when it came not just in, in the General Assembly, but across the state from, you know, school boards and township supervisors to Congress, we were not electing women. At that time, we didn't have any women in Congress. And Pennsylvania ranked second to last when it came to electing women to office. Now, in that eight and a half years time, we have definitely made significant strides and we have more women of color, more women in general um, work that are elected to the General Assembly, but also elected as you know, in other county roles and township roles. We have a Black woman who is serving and first woman to serve as mayor of the city of Philadelphia, the first woman to serve as speaker of the General Assembly, also a Black woman. Um, we have made significant strides. We've elected um, a number of women to Congress, including the first Black woman to represent the state of Pennsylvania in any of our districts with Summer Lee. So we're seeing... Um, this sort of power shift of diversity in um, the in the woman representation, but also people of color representation um, throughout the Commonwealth. And I think in large part, that's because the Commonwealth is more and more diverse. And when you have uh, districts that are fair and reflect the diversity of the Commonwealth itself, the, the people of Pennsylvania will elect um, those folks who who represent their values, who represent their experiences, their culture. Um, and that's that's exciting because, you know, eight years ago when you were one of the few and still somewhat one of the few, but at least we are becoming more and more seen and, and known and given opportunities to lead in the House and, and elsewhere in the Commonwealth. Um, it's it's helpful because now we can talk about issues that impact women and impact women of color. We can talk about maternal health. We can talk about childcare. We can talk about the Crown Act and how I wear my hair or how my colleagues may wear their hair. We can talk about personal hygiene, feminine hygiene products, periods um, in the General Assembly. But not only that, our governor had even mentioned the word periods and, and talked about young women having access to feminine hygiene products in their in their school he talked about that in his budget that has never ever happened and i think our governor felt comfortable talking about that because of the presence of women and our leadership that we have in the general assembly i love that that's so exciting to hear because that that change is so needed but also like overdue beyond right. overdue right they're not being seen as women issues right they're yes women are bringing them to the table but yeah. the quote-unquote women issues are being embraced as, as issues for families as issued for the entire commonwealth and i think that's exciting when we can get um not just women to talk about them but men to talk about them as well that's great so back in 2015 though when you started you know what advice or what helped you get through those moments where you didn't see anyone else that looked like you or had your experiences? Um, you know, the, there were moments where I think having having the one or two colleagues there that I was really, really close with that I can be honest with, that I can share my insecurities with, that I can share, you know, that moment of that tense moment I might have had with somebody. Mm -hmm. Um that was really helpful. Uh, I will tell you that 
the experience of being an elected official by itself is is unique. And then you add in all the other layers, right? Being an elected official who's also a woman, who's a woman of color, who's a mother, who's a person from Philadelphia, all those things that are part of my identity, those various layers and intersections of my identity um, means that there's very few people that are going through the same experience that I am going through at the same time who I can go to and say, oh, let me tell you what happened today. Even your spouse or your best sister, friend, or whoever that may be, as much as they may care for you and love you and support you, they cannot relate to that experience that you're having. And so it's good to have this core group of folks that we did have, that we were able to have our debriefing moments, whether it's tea or coffee or um, just a walk around the Capitol or just a chat, um, to have those times to, 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 to talk about what we were going through individually and collectively as a group. I don't think I could have made it without them and without that support group. Um, I I think some of the best I, advice I've gotten is that um, if you are there to make everybody happy or you think everybody's going to like you, yeah. then you're 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 not doing the job right. And and this job probably ain't for you. If you're doing the job correctly, somebody's not going to like you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really hard for someone who's an elected official who's who how you got there was basically through a popularity contest in some way. Right. You ran for office and people voted for you because they shared your values. They believed in what you were saying, but you had to sell yourself to be able to get votes and get elected and to get there and then say somebody's not going to like you. Somebody's not going to like what you're going to do. And if you're doing this job right, you're not just there to please people. Um, then you're going to have those moments where somebody's going to say something, but that means you're doing the job. Um, yeah, I, I think there was, you know, a number of different things that were shared with me and uh, that I, you know, rely on. There were definitely moments that um, were more challenging where someone thought they were being helpful. You know, there was a colleague who told me, you know, not to be loud and boisterous like some of the other Black women because that wouldn't be helpful to me. And I thought when he said it, that it was very offensive, right, that he was suggesting that being passionate um, about issues as a Black woman or being heard as a Black woman wouldn't be welcomed. And uh, I think that was advice I didn't take, right? And I realized that if you were quite trying to silence my voice, then my voice had more power um, than I thought, right? Because you were making this effort to quiet me down or to make me um, uh, more welcoming or to make you comfort comfortable, yeah. right? So, you know, don't be this, don't be a, an advocate. Oh no, don't do that. Even though that's my job um, because your advocacy makes me uncomfortable. Well, that's the advice that I did not take. I can tell you that. Yeah. As as a first generation woman, I mean, I, I was raised to be a people pleaser. And so this idea of you might not please everyone, like that is super uncomfortable for me because that's where, you know, you stand out. And I was raised to not stand out. I was raised to blend in and, you know, assimilate and, you know, be seen, not heard. And so trying to unlearn all of those things now as an adult is super hard. Oh, so yes. 
How I, I, you- I, I agree with you. I think that's where I started, right? And that was mm-hmm. the comment. It was, I like you because you're not this other woman that I see who is loud and who is out there trying to make noise. And I really realized, oh my gosh, he sees me as a people pleaser. He sees me as being non-confrontational and um, someone who didn't have a voice. But, you know, uh, it was an adjustment to embrace and my voice and to say, oh no, I'm going to use this voice and I'm going to be very loud with it and yeah. and not quiet. And then, um, you know, bring my seat to the table or build the table or whatever it may be. Um, because there was there was power there that someone was trying to control um by you know feeding into that people pleasing sort of mentality that I had you know as a woman growing up in the space where I just wanted everybody to be happy yeah and as a lot of women that are trailblazers right that they don't see a lot of people that look like them or have their experiences and background these uncomfortable situations where it's not necessarily I'm uncomfortable it's everyone else is uncomfortable with seeing me hearing me listening to me if they choose to how do you navigate those situations where either they're uncomfortable or if they say something and you're uncomfortable yeah so you know um I think uh with time and some just uh some more security in the space that I was in I I realized that someone else's comfort was not my priority Right. Um, especially colleagues who are elected to the same role that I'm in and keeping, you know, con- being concerned about their comfort wasn't doing my constitu- constituents any justice. Um, and um, so so some of that is um, embracing who you are and comes with time. It, it really does. Right. And um, but over time, I, I believe that with the support of the sisterhood that I had in the house, yeah. um, we were able to stand together and with each other and say, you know, whatever needs to be said, we were going to do it and have each other's back. Um, I I believe that um, over time, embracing my role and my voice just gave me more and more confidence over time. I... Um, I found myself sometimes second guessing whether or not I belong there, um, whether or not, you know, um, I should go back home and be a wife and a mother and, a you know, and, and work my job in Philadelphia and not travel back and forth. Was it was were there any benefits to it? Right. Was I driving to the state capitol every week? And fighting for issues and not being heard at first, right? When when was the tide going to turn? Um, and it was hard. I'm not gonna lie and say I didn't have moments where I cried. I didn't have moments where I, you know, said maybe I'm gonna give up. You know, why do I keep signing up and running for office every other year, um, making these sacrifices for my family? Where where is the benefit in all of this? Am I going to see change, particularly when? Um, the party that I represent was in the minority and and all those kinds of things. Uh, but eventually you start to see the nibble, right, at the work that you're doing. You start to see more women be elected and the issues that you were talking about now being amplified by their voices. You start to see more people of color, not just from Philadelphia, but from across the state be elected. Um, you start to see legislation that you've been working on 
get introduced in the house and or through committee or even be introduced by a different person. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So you love that work that I did. So, you know, we hear about these conversations that happen in the boardroom where, you know, women say something and then Tim says it and like all of a sudden it's heard. It happens in legislation too. You're like, we can introduce legislation and it doesn't get seen. And then some next seat, next legislative session, that same bill gets introduced by a colleague and you're like, oh, okay. So I was onto something here. That's fine. How do we, I don't need to take the credit and, I, and this is one of the things I've always lived by. And um, we can get a lot more things done for the people if we didn't care about who got the credit. Now, you know, there are some folks whose egos wouldn't allow them to not take the credit, but I'm, I'm okay with that. And over time, whether I asked for the credit or not, people started to acknowledge the work that I put in. But at the end of the day, my ultimate goals were getting done. And that's, you know, that for me was more important than the credit. Awesome. I I want to circle back to where you kind of talked about, you know, those tough nights. And I remember when I first started my PhD program in North Dakota, that's not where a lot of Chicago women end up. And so being, I'm pretty sure the only Mexican in the state, I was just so filled with imposter syndrome. So you know, how is that something that you feel like you dealt with? And, you know, how did you overcome that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and imposter syndrome is really interesting for me because I find that people um, of color, women, first generation folks, uh, folks that are not a part of, you know, um, dominated white male spaces, um, fall into this imposter syndrome, even when oftentimes we, we enter those spaces with much more experience, a much more, um, uh, resume, deeper resume than some of those other folks who have been there for quite some time. And those folks, um, have no problem entering the room mm-hmm. and saying, I'm here yeah. <laughs> with no experience. Maybe they know somebody or they had an internship, but usually we come double prepared. We've done all the homework. We've done, um, you know, all the internships, all the experiences, um, extra degrees. We come in, right? With every letter behind our name, right? Um, And we still doubt ourselves. Like we don't belong in that room. Um, I remember, you know, I came in, I was a lawyer. Speaker McClinton, also a lawyer. And we started to look around and realize, wait a minute, we have more experience, not only just our legal experience, but we both had worked for elected officials prior to coming to this space. We understood how budgets work, state budgets work. We understood how policy is enacted. Yet we were doubting ourselves. We had more experience than most of the other folks that had been elected before us. Here's what you do. I think it's really important to take inventory of who you are, because sometimes you have to see it. Yeah, right? You have to actually write it down and see it, quantify it, qualify it, whatever, and celebrate it, right? Yeah. Uh, it's hard, right? We don't like to celebrate ourselves or pat ourselves on the back and come out here and brag on ourselves, but brag on yourself. 
Because I will tell you, if you probably sat down and compared your resume to everybody else in that room, (laughs) your resume is probably a lot, lot more, a lot more deep than whoever else is at the table. They probably just had a connection. Um, And that's how they got to the table. Uh, We don't acknowledge who we are and what we bring to the table enough um, to really celebrate all of our accomplishments. And to to say, not only do I belong in this room, um, you know what? I should probably be leading the room, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I I think that my advice when it comes to that imposter syndrome is to just really sit down with yourself and write down all of your accomplishments um, and celebrate who you are and what you have done. Cause I don't think we do enough of that. I know I definitely don't. I, again, was raised mm-hmm. to be humble, but somehow I equate that to not celebrating myself and my accomplishments. So that's definitely something I'm also trying to work on is celebrating the little and the big things. Cause waiting for the big things to happen, that's just not feasible anymore. Society for, for, for a lot of us, society, and the societal norms have taught us to be quiet and mm-hmm. and all those things, right? And again, not making others uncomfortable. Um, when you you trust me, <laughs> some folks who have no problem yeah. telling you how <laughs> great they think they are, um, and not that you have to be that person that yeah. can you know, but t- tell it to yourself, um, so that you can walk in with that confidence, um, you know celebrate yourself and and um know that you are in the room because you deserve to be there you earned that space um and whoever you know whether it was voters or a boss or whoever that sponsored you or supported you to be in that room they believed in you too enough to bring you there i some people think it's silly, but I always tell other women, and I told myself this before I defended my PhD because I was scared to give this defense is have the confidence of an older white male <laughs> and you will be able to give any speech, be present and confident in any room because you just got to channel that same energy. Like they have no problem yeah. doing it. Oh, absolutely. The confidence of an old white man is, you know, you you put it out there. So yes, yeah. <laughs> and the confidence of an old white man. I mean, sometimes the audacity um, of some folks who have nowhere near as much achievements um, as those, you know, as other folks, but yeah. doesn't stop them, does not stop them from being in a room, from speaking up, from taking ownership of other folks' work. Um, yeah. And being, oftentimes, being loud and wrong. <laughs> yes. But trust that you have done your homework. You have prepared to yourself to be in that space, to be in that room, to do the work that you're doing. Um, and you're going to shine. I think, uh, I know that once I really embraced that I belong there, that I did the work, that I am as capable, if not more capable than other people in the room. Um, other folks realize that too and 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 trusted me with a lot more <laughs> um, assignments and mm-hmm. um, opportunities to lead. Um, so be prepared for that because once they're like, oh, wait a minute, she really knows her stuff and she's really capable of doing it. You will be asked to, to, to step up 
and to to step up and to you know do the work. So um, I'm I'm honored a lot of times when I am asked to lead a room and I am um, when folks come to me and say the way you mediate you know disagreements among our colleagues. You know I'm somewhat called the, the representative such and such whisperer or that person <laughs> who can talk to different groups of folks um, and get them to the table. Okay, I realize that's that's the strong suit that I have and a skill set that I have, and um, and I'm honored to to be brought into the room to do those things. That's great. What the confidence of a white man? Yeah, an old white man. Yes, that's the key. <laughs> so, what final advice do you have for any trailblazer that is interested in going into politics? Yes. Um, so. I will say that um, do it, right? Yeah. Don't doubt yourself um, that you are needed. You and you you deserve to be there. Um, your voice is needed so much, um, and and it depends. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to law school or be. I am working in politics and I that's what I'm gonna run for office. No, we need the diversity of voices of women um, from every sector, every lived experience. So whether you were a nurse or you were a teacher or a social worker or a lawyer or a doctor, um, whether you are a mother or a auntie or um, just a good friend, all of those voices are so important to the state legislature and necessary, um, and not just state legislature, but any space of elected office. Um, there, I think what's great is that in many of those spaces, whether it's the school board or Congress, that we're no longer one of the few. Um, so when you get there and you do run, reach out to other women um, and work, you know, find your group of sister friends in Congress and in, in the, at the school board and at the city council and on the township council and the com county commissioners um, and, and, you know, work with them and um, find your voice. I will say probably lastly, do not, do not let anyone silence you because you got elected to speak um from your experience and to speak for the folks that you represent awesome this was amazing like i'm inspired to go kick ass and do more things so <laughs> thank you for joining us and if anyone wants to follow you or learn more about you where can they find you sure so on uh facebook uh rep donna bullock uh twitter the same um, and on Instagram at Donna Bullock 195. Awesome. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, please share it. We can all use a friend that gets us and that's there for us. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next episode.